Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Luke chapter 5. I'm going to be picking up in verse 27. And I'm reading from the NIV. It should be on the screen here. Let's read. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi, and we know Levi is Matthew, got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to the sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. That's one thing Jesus likes to do. If they don't understand, they'll tell them a story. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. Verse 37, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he says, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new. For they say the old is better. Do you ever meet any of those kind of people? They say, oh, you should have been there in the, in the old days when it was like this. I meet them all the time. Oh, you should have been at King's years ago when we, when we sung this song. We don't, we don't sing Reckless Love. We sung this song. This is when it was better. Listen to me. Our days, the best days are yet to come. And I'm not, I don't want to listen to people who tell me that the old is better. Because God wants to pour out a new wine into this church and into your lives. Something new and something fresh. This scene that we've just read, it's, I find it amazing if you analyze it and look at it, it's, it's an interesting scene. Because what's just happened is Jesus has just walked up to, we'll keep calling him in Levi because that's what the text uses, but it's Matthew. He, ta- he walks up to his tax booth. And he meets him and all he says is, follow me. I mean, that's the authority of Jesus, isn't it? 
you know, he doesn't have a good debate with him saying, well, we can analyze your accounts, see whether it's possible for you to, to leave this behind and come and follow me. Have a think about him, pray about it for a week. No, he says, follow me. And he leaves everything and goes and follows Jesus. That's the kind of people that God wants. Amen? He's looking for people who actually are so sold out for him. They're so sold out for what God has for them and not what this life has for them that they're prepared to leave things behind. Amen? So Levi leaves things and he goes and then the next thing he does, he holds this banquet and, 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 and he invites his friends around. All the other tax collectors come around. And by the way, a tax collector, then if you're a tax collector, you're, you're like a murderer. You're, people don't like you. You know, I know people don't like the hitch, the, the, the inland revenue here, but this was seriously bad. If you were a tax collector, you got a bad name for yourself. And so, if anything, he holds this banquet and you got a lot of tax collectors there. And Jesus goes. How many of you know that Jesus is not scared of being with the people that other people don't like to be with? I don't know about you. Sometimes some people say, I'm not going to go and hang around with those people because I don't want to be contaminated by them. Listen, you got the fire of God inside of you. You can sit amongst people. Yes, you've got to be careful you're not pulled into what they're pulled into. But listen, when the fire of God is so strong inside of you, all your desire is, is to change them. is to see a transformation in their life. Not to be like them. Come on. The Pharisees ask this question. They see them eating, drinking together. I mean, does it sound good to hang around with Jesus? I don't know about you, but... Everyone thinks it's boring to go to church. But if I read these stories, I realize that Jesus liked a good feast. Come on, Jesus. Jesus is the one that even when Peter let him down, he's cooking, he's cooking some food. He's getting the barbecue ready. Listen, Jesus likes a good feast. He doesn't want your life to be terrible. He wants to enjoy life with you. So when he talks about the new wine and, and he talks about all these things we can have, listen to me, God has got something special for every one of you. Hallelujah. Pharisees come and ask him a question. They say, why is it, why is it that you're, you lot, you're all eating? Why is it that you lot, you're all sat down, chilled out, relaxed, enjoying some food together? You should be fasting. You see, from, from, our, from our view, we fast. We've got these systems. We do this and we do that. And why are you not doing this? In fact, even, even John's disciples, they're doing it. Why are you not? This is asking Jesus, the Son of God. Come on. And he says, oh no, you know, the reason, the reason these guys are not fasting is because I'm still with them. They will fast. When I've been taken from them, that's when he goes and leaves them and, and he has to go to the cross. And we know we have the Holy Spirit here today. But listen, that's what he meant. That physical leaving, that, that in a sense of abandonment to them. But we know the Holy Spirit come. Listen, Jesus wants us to fast. But it's, it's interesting that he says to them, while I'm still with them, they don't need to do it. It kind of opens up the whole context of what this was about. I'll tell you what I believe this is about. I believe this story, this parable, and everything we've just read about the new wine, it's all about two types of people of who, who's going to receive that wine. You see, the Pharisees were one type of person. They couldn't receive it because they couldn't understand it. They say the old is better because they're so used to their traditions 
That they don't want what Jesus brings. Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. So when Jesus came, he says, I'm not disregarding the past. I'm fulfilling the past. I'm fulfilling what you already know. I'm doing something new. That's why you've got a Bible. And it says the New Testament. There's a new covenant. There's something fresh. There's something new. And it's no longer time for you to hold on to your traditions. It's time for you to get hold of the fact that there is a new wine of the Holy Ghost that wants to be poured out into your life, into this church, into every single life. The question is, are the wineskins of our hearts ready to receive it? You see, you've got two types of wineskins. You've got one that when it's old and rigid, It can't take the new wine because when the new wine comes in, it ferments and it expands and it would explode. That's not what I want for my life. I mean, I'm all for the Holy Spirit getting out of me and touching lives, but I don't want some uncontrolled eruption. I want the Holy Spirit. You see, the difference is, is when you've got a new wine skin, when you're prepared to receive with a soft heart. What will happen is you won't explode, you will expand. You see, when the Spirit of God is poured out upon people, I'll tell you what happens. It expands you and makes you something that you're not without God. It will increase you. It will expand your influence. It will make you something that you wouldn't be without God. What is your heart like today? God wants to pour out the new wine, but it must be in a good wineskin. The wineskin of our hearts. The title of the message today is The Heart of the Matter. The Heart of the Matter. I want to talk a lot about the heart today. I was uh, just the other week, you may have heard me mention it last week, I went on a a canoe ride with my son and, and I took him with the scouts trip and I went down to the camp. I've never done this. I've been lived here for many years in Cambridge. Never done this before. And I go down there and they give us the life jackets. We're all equipped, ready to go. We get in and I'm with one of the other dads. And then we've got two boys in the middle of the canoe. And this, it's exciting. It's good. It's amazing. I've been in Cambridge 21 years and I've, I've never been and done this. So we set off on the camp and one of the dads said, he says, what do you want to do? Do you want to row at the front or do you want to row at the back? I said, well, what's the difference? He said, if you row at the back, you're going to have to make sure that you use the, the, the oar as a, as a rudder to guide us. So I'll keep paddling at the front, but you've got to make sure that at the back, you paddle every so often, but then you put the oar into the water to make sure that the boat goes in the right direction. I thought, well, that sounds like a pretty important task. I said, shall I go to the front? He said, you can. I said, okay, I'll do the back. I took the important job. My son's like, you're going to drive the boat, Dad? Yeah, watch this. We get in. This big, this thing's huge. The dad's there. He's got all his nice gear on and he's sat at the front paddling. I'm sat at the back relaxing and every now and again just a bit of direction. And I realized after so long that actually when I put the oar into the water, it only needed just a tiny little movement to make the boat move in the right direction. I thought, wow, so much power and authority. I could take this boat wherever I want. Listen, your heart is like that little rudder. Can I just say, everything you do 
Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart because everything flows from it. In other words, your heart is like that little rudder in your life. It is something that you can disregard and say, well, it's not important to observe my heart. But if you observe your heart, you're going to understand something today. That your heart will determine the course of your life. It will determine your direction. It will determine where you're going to go. And listen, just a few degrees difference on that all made a lot of difference. Let me tell you, it did when one of the dad, the dad at the front, I was heading for a tree and I nearly took his head off. He lost his hat and his sunglasses. Thankfully, they landed back in the boat covered in dirt. And I realized after a bit, this is quite fun. Sorry. I realized something. That, that a little thing, if you don't keep a check, if you don't guard your heart, you could end up going in a completely wrong direction just by a tiny little move in your life. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Proverbs 23.19 says, Listen, my son, and be wise. Set your heart on the right path. So listen, you've got to incline your heart. You've got to position your heart. You've got to check your heart. You've got to guard your heart. You've got to make sure what's going on in your heart. Because what's going on in here is going to make my life go in that direction. This is so important, people. It's so important because some of us sometimes, we're living life and disregarding our heart and not guarding it. When you disregard it, you lose focus. You lose direction. You know, I, I find it interesting. Through my life, I meet non-Christians. And a lot of people have got this terminology and they say this. They say, just follow your heart. You say, I'm, wor- I'm worried about a particular thing I've got to do. I'm, I've, I've got to make a big decision. I've got a job and I'm, I'm going to go for the interview. Or I'm wondering whether to do X, Y, Z, move to this country, do this, do that. Some people just say, you just got to follow your heart. Well, that sounds all nice and fluffy, doesn't it? It sounds all nice to say, I'm going to follow my heart. But the question I'd ask you is, where is your heart? I'm not interested about following your heart. I want to know where your heart is first. Because if your heart is in the wrong place, then your direction is going to be off. Don't just follow your heart. Know where your heart is. Matthew 15, 19 says this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Wow. There's a lot going on in that heart of ours, isn't there? I don't know about you, but sometimes we can think, oh, I'm so good, I'm so great. Listen, God knows the motives of our hearts. Listen, if we came in here every Sunday and we had all the labels on the outside of what's actually really going inside our hearts, I don't think we'd stick around after coffee. The problem is this, is that some of us, we enjoy speaking bad about people. We enjoy doing things wrong. We enjoy doing things in our heart and we disregard it. But I just want to say today, it's time to check your heart. It's time to look at where the motives are because that is the course of the direction that your life 
will go in. I want to bring a few points today just to encourage you from this. To look at this text and see the, the heart of Levi who leaves everything, follows Jesus. And then you've got the Pharisees kind of question. I mean, if you look at this story, Levi is the unlikely candidate to receive new wine. There's many people, you, if you were to say, who's going who's gonna to get the next touch of God in this church? You would probably choose that on the person's spiritual fervor, on the outside. You'd probably say, well, that person looks on fire for Jesus. Can I just say to you, you'll be surprised. I've been in churches over years and seen God touch lives and seen people just totally transformed and God do things and they're the least likely candidates. Why? Because God is looking at the heart. He doesn't look at your outside. He's looking inside our hearts. Number one is new wine requires an abandoned heart. It requires an abandoned heart. Luke 5.27 says, After this Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up left everything, not just a few pounds, everything, and followed Jesus. Wow. You see, when I read this, I looked at it and I thought, I realized something, that Matthew, Levi, is sat at, it doesn't just say any old tax booth, it says his tax booth. You see, the the tax collectors had their place and position. They had their spot. They had their place and they don't give that up so easily. There's a lot of swindling going on there. There's a lot of money to be made there. There's a lot of extra money under the booth being made there, should I say. And listen to me. When he's got his place, some of us in our lives have got things where we become so double-minded. We become into such a place where we can't let go of things and our hearts are divided to two different things. This is mine. This is my booth. This is where I get my profit. This is where I get my identity. This is where I, this is where I am. You can't take that from me. I'll come and follow you and we'll have a little party, but I'm coming back to my booth tomorrow. Oh no, this is my booth. This is my life. And some of us, in our lives are not prepared to let go of our booths for Jesus. It's my booth. It's got my name on it. I remember just a few years back we went away on holiday. And if you've ever been abroad into certain places where I may have told this story before. But we, we came out and every morning I had to get up at nearly four and five in the morning to put my towel on a lounger just to get a position. And I realized something after about two weeks of being there. People used to blame the Germans for this, but the English are far worse. Terrible. I went there. Every day I realized everyone's in their same positions. It's like a a cowboy death stare around the pool. If you took this, and and one one morning I went there and I thought, boy, I've got this spot. I could take this one today. But I know that if I take it, I'm going to have to sit and stare at them all day and realize it's their spot. Will they be happy? And so I went and one day I did it and I didn't enjoy my day all day because they kept staring at me. I thought, I'm never going to do that again. I'm just going to stay where I'm supposed to go. People protect their positions. 
They protect the territory. They protect things. And sometimes in your heart, you protect things. You say, God, you can have this bit, but I ain't going to give you this bit. This is my life. This is my spot. This is, you can have some of it, but you're not having all of it. Listen, number one is this. If you want to receive the new wine of the Spirit of God, if you want God to do something amazing in your life in this season, you've got to have a heart abandoned to God. Come on. You've got to have a heart that's truly abandoned to Him. That's not double, you see, it's not double-minded. It's not separated into two. It is everything. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus, I walked in this church and I realized when someone prayed for me and the fire of God hit me back in 2002, God touched me so powerfully, I realized there's nothing I can do other than give everything to Him. Look, God is speaking to some people today because some of you have got your booths. We've got our booths. Look, I've had my booths, I've got some of them. Sometimes I've got to just release them. Sometimes I just got to let go. It's not your booth. In fact, every, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Everything you got is from Him anyway. When you get that in your heart and you understand that, you realize you got to give everything back to Him. You see, abandoned hearts, abandoned treasures. Abandoned hearts will abandon treasures. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. And some people sometimes are not prepared to abandon treasures for Jesus. He says, Levi got up and left everything. You need to, to, listen, this is the whole same story. It's the same story. What Jesus is trying to describe is that this person, I'm sat eating and drinking with this person. The Pharisees are coming in questioning all about systems and saying, you've got to do it this way, you've got to do it that way. Why are you doing this? And Jesus just, he sat there with these people. And he realizes as he sat there with the host of the party that this man is the type of person I'm looking for. Stop looking on the outside. I'm looking for someone like him who's prepared to leave everything for me. That's where I'm at. That's where I am. And Jesus will certainly be in your life to his fullest if you allow him to. You see, I find it interesting. The very man who worked for money left his money. This wasn't, look, he was not down there just working in the local coffee shop. He was down there working with money. Money was his thing. Money was his thing, but he was prepared to leave the the profit of that money for Jesus. He wouldn't let it hold him. The very man who works for money left his money. I put here that what you value most is what you celebrate most. What you value most is what you celebrate most. You see, I, I, I don't know if you've seen this before, but imagine this. He's at his booth. Jesus comes. He says, follow me. And he's like, what about this? What about that? What about paying for this? What about X, Y, Z? He doesn't have an argument. He just leaves everything and he goes. But then the next thing he does is this. And I've never really looked at this so close. But in Luke five twenty nine, it says, then Levi held a great banquet. I mean... 
It's one thing to leave your profit. It's one thing to leave your job. It's one thing to get your P45 and walk away from your booth and just trust God and follow into unknown places, not know what's going to happen next. It's one thing to do that, but then another to spend all your money and make a great banquet for Jesus. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I stepped out of, out of that and I said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, and I start following Jesus into that place, I don't know about you, but I think I'd be making sure the money's secure in my bank. Just as a backup, we got a call coming through. Follow me. Listen, some of us sometimes we leave things, but we don't really leave things. We leave the booth, but we hold things securely. I want to ask you today, if you're prepared to be truly abandoned to God, the very thing that I didn't expect Levi to do was to spend all the money he's got because he ain't getting a paycheck the next month. He's got to spend everything he's got to hold not just a little get-together and a takeaway and you have your share and I'll pay my share. You know, you get your curry and I'll get my curry. We'll split the cut. Have you ever been to one of those meals when everyone splits the cut? It gets so out of hand, doesn't it? Every, I mean, I, I've been to them. Everyone's trying to divide up what you... What did you have? I had three rices and someone's thinking, I ordered a really expensive meal. If I divide this, I'm going to come off tops here. You've, you've seen those kind of people. They order the most expensive thing on the menu because they know at the end that it's going to get divided. I don't do that. But it gets messy. No, he says he holds a great banquet. This is someone who says, I'm abandoned to you, Jesus. There's something inside of me, my heart, that says, I want to just leave everything. And I don't just want to leave everything and put it in my account and just wait and see what happens and test this relationship with you, Jesus. I want to do something different. I want to hold a great banquet, spend loads of money on you. And I want to invite you not to someone else's house, but to my house. I'm spending my money and you're coming to my house. You come and invade my property. You come and come round. He says, lots of tax collectors were there. I bet they were thinking, this is great. I got to keep my booth and he's spending all the money. I'm worried about Levi. I don't know about you. Yeah, I don't know where his pay is going to come from in the future. But come on, let's go and have a curry round at, at Levi's. He's paying, he's paying for it all. There's a difference if you're prepared to give up things, but if you're prepared to spend on Jesus. Levi chose the banquet of praise over the booth of profit. He chose the banquet of praise over the booth of profit. You see, what you celebrate is what you value. And Jesus, he knew, he saw the heart of Levi and understood something so crucial. He said, this is the kind of person, this is the kind of guy I want. This is the kind of person that the word of God that says, don't worry about tomorrow is going to reply to. This is the kind of person that says, that the word of God that says, Jehovah Jireh is your provider. This is going to apply to you. Why? Because you're prepared to be abandoned. I want to ask you today. What booths are you holding on to? What have you hidden away in your account? What have you hidden away and just said, I'm testing my relationship with Jesus first before I really, really 
trust him. I'm not going to spend on it yet. We'll, do a, we'll just do a shared deal amongst all tax collectors. Jesus said, nobody can serve two masters. Luke 16, 13, he says, either you will hate the one and love the other. Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, that's not just about money. You can't serve two masters. Some of us now, in your life, your heart has two masters. When you're in a place of where you have two masters, you're getting into the territory of Revelation chapter 3. That when Jesus speaks to the church in Laodicea, he says, you're lukewarm. You put two types of things together and it's lukewarm. What does, I don't, I don't like saying this, but God likes to spit you out of his mouth. You get a, a warm cup of tea, it's not as nice as a hot one. You get a cold drink, it's nice. A hot drink's nice, but a lukewarm one's not very nice. Some of us today, we serve two masters. Our hearts are divided. We're double-minded. So we split. No one else can see on the outside. You can come as holy as you like on Sunday. You can come and sing as much as you like on Sunday. You can worship Jesus till he returns. You can do whatever you like. You can go to every single conference through the year. You can do whatever you like. No one's going to see inside here. Because there's only God sees the heart. But I want to ask you today. And I'm sorry if I'm preaching heavy. But I want to ask you today. But this is what we need, isn't it? We need God to stir our hearts. Some of us today are divided. I'm asking you today, I'm not doing it because I'm saying I'm perfect. I'm telling you we need to get into a place of abandonment. Abandonment to Him. Because listen, God can do so much more in our lives. He's looking at us today saying, just let me have it all. Let me have everything. Number two, new wine. Requires a softened heart. Not just an abandoned heart. See, you abandon things first. When I gave my life to Jesus, I had to abandon things. I had to let go of things in my life that were not good for me. Make decisions. I had to put my, let's say, my heart in the right place. Like I said earlier, if you want to follow your heart, and there's nothing wrong with With doing that, if your heart's in the right place, with God. But you also need a softened heart. Luke 5.30 says this. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The, The Pharisees said to Jesus. Jesus answered them, verse 31. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But sinners to repentance. Listen, I want to just be very clear. Sin, a lot of churches don't like to preach this, but sin will harden your heart. You cannot afford to live under this kind of ultra grace that I can do whatever I like and it doesn't really matter. Listen, we need to pursue holiness in our lives. We need to have a heart that says, God, I'm after you. I'm abandoned to you. I'm sold out for you. I'm prepared to spend everything on you. I don't care whether I've got a job. I don't care whether I've got any money. I just want you. 
And so when we get into that place, we have a softened heart. I don't know, sometimes in my life things happen to me and things have happened and I can start getting a hardened heart. Come on church, we've got to be honest. I've had hard hearts. I've done some things and I've thought things and said things I know I shouldn't have said. But I realized I had to check my heart. I had to guard my heart. I had to look at it and say, God, make sure you, you make sure my heart. Because people on the outside, they're gonna, they, they might think Phil's okay, but deep down my heart, listen, we've got to be real with each other. We've got to be real, not fake. We've got to be real and realize that we have hearts inside of us. And I want my heart to be sold out and softened for him. You see, the difference is, the Pharisees were saying, Oh, why don't you fast? Why don't you do these things? Jesus says, listen. He says, listen, don't you realize? Don't you realize today that you need a softened heart? You need a softened heart because I've come not to look for people righteous like you think you are. But I've come for sinners to be called to repentance. Listen, repentance is essential. Repentance is essential for a transformed life. If you're in a place of sin right now, if there are things that you've been going into and getting involved in and you've been doing and you know you shouldn't be doing them, listen, I'm I'm here to tell you, I'm not to tell you off, I'm here to say to you today, it's time to turn from your sin. It's time to turn from that in another direction. Repent and turn to God. When you do, your heart will begin to soften. If you don't, it will harden. And what does it say about the wineskin? It says a wineskin that is, is old and, and looks at kind of the old self in a sense. That old wineskin is going to explode. It can't expand with what God wants to do. We need to have malleable hearts, church. Softened hearts, vulnerable hearts before God. Sin will always harden your heart towards God. You see, repentance is the answer. It's not an experience. Some people think that, you know, dealing with sin is just about, I'm going to go to a conference and have an experience. I'm going to go to church and have an experience. If I have a good meeting and I feel good and I've gone into the service, I, oh, wow, that was amazing today. I felt the presence of God. I feel refreshed. I feel good. I can't wait for, some people like this, can't wait for next Sunday to get another dose, to feel refreshed again. Because if I just get under that, if I get under that presence of God, that where everyone's worshipping, there's such a great atmosphere. In fact, I'm going to go to Tuesday night because I feel better. But then on Wednesday, I feel bad again. Why? Because I've just gone straight back into the old sins again. What's important is not an experience, it's repentance. It's what you do from the experience is what you do on Wednesday. You see, you need to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. It's not the devil making you do it. Come on. It's not the devil. Your own evil desires will lure you away. I don't know about you can be in the best meeting you've been in, and the next day you do the worst thing you've ever done. Come on, I'm not here to criticize you, I'm here to tell you the truth. You know it. And listen to me. The, the best meetings you'll have, get ready because the enemy will come and just whisper into you and say, you know, you want to do that thing again, don't you? Because if you do that, you're going to feel good. You deserve to feel good. You deserve to feel good. As soon as you do it, 
Then you realise after, I shouldn't have done that. Then you feel the worst person ever. Then you wait for Sunday to come to get another dose. It's not about the experience, it's about repentance. Repentance is your breakthrough. You see, Acts chapter 3.19, Peter, they've just seen this crippled beggar get healed. You know the gate beautiful? Peter, they're all in, in, in the temple area. And everyone's just probably going crazy, you know. This man's just, we've seen him for years. He's got healed. This is just amazing. You can imagine, this is where they will be singing, he's the way maker. This is just amazing. This is an amazing experience. But Peter gets up and he says this. He doesn't say, oh, isn't this glorious? Let's just receive the wine of the, new, of the Spirit of God. Let's just enjoy the presence of God. Someone's just walked. Someone's just got healed. Let's just enjoy this. No, he takes an opportunity. Verse 19, he says this to the people who are all watching this going on. He says, repent. What? Come on, leave us alone. We're enjoying ourselves. He's just, he's just walking. No, he says, repent and turn to God. In other words, Jesus will always do a demonstration of healing. Why? To cause you to come back to him. Not to have a party over. Yeah, we want to celebrate, but it's to call our attention. The God who can heal is the God who can turn a heart. Repent then and turn to God. Listen, so that your sins may be wiped out. He takes an opportunity in one of the best meetings that you'd have loved to have gone to. Best healing meetings, best Holy Spirit outpouring meeting, best encounter meeting. Seen a crippled beggar who's been sat at Gate Beautiful for years. Get healed, and now Peter gets up and, well, you know, he's talking about repenting, he's talking about sinning. This is what it says. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, then get this, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You want a time of refreshing in your life? You want the new wine of the Spirit of God? Then you need to turn your hearts and get your wineskin not hardened, but softened to receive the wine. Times of refreshing don't come on hardened hearts. Why? Because you'll explode because you can't take it. But you put your position in and said, you know, I'm turning from things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my heart right with God. Let me tell you. Some people say to me, they say, I, I just want to feel good again. I just feel I'm, I'm just wrapped up in sin. Can't get out of this. Listen, turn, repent and turn to God. Then you're going to see times are refreshing going to come. Stop coming out of the front and asking someone to pray for you for a problem that you need to cut out of your life. See, I can't control your internet activity. Even if you come to the front and I pray for you, I can't stop what you look at tomorrow on the internet. I can't stop the way that you look at that guy or that girl at work or in college. I can't do that for you. My prayer is not going to stop that. Repentance will. But you do it by the power of God. And when you do, listen to me. This is not what the devil doesn't want you to know. This. Times of refreshing will come. But what we want is the refreshing just to help me cut things out. Listen, turn. Then you're going to see the power of God flow through your life. Come on. Hallelujah. You see, everyone likes John chapter 11, the Lazarus raised from the dead. Oh, we love that story. 
See, that's a great miracle. Let me tell you, this story, if I could tell it differently, is the raising of Levi. <laughs> In fact, it's a, better, it's a better raising of the dead than Lazarus. Why do I know that? Because a physical death's one thing. But when someone is so far from God and they look alive, but actually they're dead. That's why the miracle of salvation is the most important thing that we should ever get hold of and understand. That Jesus Christ has the power to change your heart and turn you around and put you in the right place. Ezekiel 36 verse 26. God said to his people, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from, your heart, from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Some of us today, the problem is this. We don't let God in. You know, we sung earlier, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. Some of us are not prepared to run to Jesus. We're not prepared. Listen, do you know something? If I said to you today, you've got a problem with your heart, physically, would you let me deal with that? No, you go to a surgeon. It's quite an important thing, isn't it, your heart? Pumping that blood around your body. Some people, sometimes, before they have any operation, they'll go in, they'll have this, a certain procedure that will put ink through your body to let you see that in your, in your heart where there's any blockages. I believe God's doing that right now, in the spirit. He's putting... Is ink into your heart and he's saying, where's the blockages? Where's the, where's the divisions? Where's the problems? I'm exposing because actually I don't just want to expose it. I want to do some surgery. I'm not into people coming to church and just, yeah, I, I can't understand I've got a problem, but not dealing with it. You need to have open heart surgery and I can't do it. Only God can rescue you from that position. Only God can get to your heart. Did you know that? No preacher, the most anointed person on YouTube is not going to get to your heart. Only God. Only God. I can talk forever. But only God can take my words and anoint them, touch, touch my words into your heart, and which will cut you to the heart. But it's God. As most people have seen on the last week or so, you've seen the story, the last few weeks of the 12 plus the, the other one, the Thai uh, football team, these young people who were stuck in that cave. And I don't know about you, but I'm just amazed by how they got them out. I'm amazed how they got in. You know, it's so, so, you know even without water, to get in there that far, two and a half miles, three miles in, to get there, I, my question always was, how did they get there? Why would you go there? Why? I mean, we all thought it, didn't we? What, what would, but some of us in our lives, what we do is, we start off on a journey. We get in and we, oh, look at this. This is good. And the, the aperture's not too confined. It's not too bad. And then you get so far and you realize that, oh, I wonder what's at the other end of this. I'm going to keep going. It's a bit dark, though. There's not much light, but we'll keep going. We'll keep having another look. And it's not too dangerous, this. There's not much water around here. So I'll go a little bit further. And then, then you get to another section or a crevice or some other part that's only 40 centimeters wide. And you think, should we go through there? Well, we've done it this far. We can probably try. So then you climb through the next little bit. And before you know it, you didn't realize, but you gone two and a half, three miles into a cave. 
And it's dark. You've got to a place where only the experts will get you out. If they can find you. And so I, I, you, we saw the pictures. They're all sat on this little thing. They're getting thinner and thinner. And they're looking like they need help. And we see that the cameras go down. Then we see the first stages. Someone goes in and, 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 and helps to get the oxygen tanks there. He dies, unfortunately. This Thai ex-Navy SEAL diver dies in the process to get the oxygen tanks. Then eventually we see the process of hours. And it, they, they get them out. And, and everyone's like, these guys are heroes. They're saying, we're not heroes. But we realize deep down that these people, we can't do what they did because they're experts in getting through, through the difficulties, through the small crevices, through the claustrophobic areas, down deep to find that team of young people with a plan to get them out. Can I say this to you today? Those children sat there waiting for them to arrive. If they wanted to, they could say, I am not going back with you. They needed cooperation. You can't get someone out without their cooperation. And so they need to say, yes, I will wear the big full face mask. I'll do what you say. I'll do everything you say to get me out of this place. That's what God is saying to you today. He says... For you, in some of your lives, you have wandered down so deep into a cave. You've wandered so far that every step you took, you didn't realize how deep you were getting in. You took risks. You went so far. And now you're stuck. And some of us have got so deep, deep down, that now we're saying to ourselves, how can I get out? Listen, the heart surgeon is right in front of you right now. He says, I've got the expertise. No man can get in here. I've come deep to you. I've come to you to soften your heart. But you've got to be prepared to put on the oxygen mask. You've got to be prepared to follow me. Do as I say. And you will get out of this. But if you stay where you are, you're at a dead end. There's nothing left. It's only you who has the choice. See what I love about that story? That shows about Jesus is this. That sometimes people have to give their lives to change other lives. That Thai diver. He will be forever thanked for what he did for dying. Losing his life. To save those young boys. All the years they grow up they'll always remember. Before anyone got us out he had to do that first. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, died for you to get you out of the cave. He lost his life. He took his final breath on the cross. He lost the oxygen. He lost it and then he was risen from the dead. Listen, there is one who's gone before you. He's one who planned the way. There's a way maker that says, I'm going to give my life to rescue you from the darkest caves of your life. Come back, come back, come back, he says. 17 days they were underground. How long have you been underground? With a hardened heart in sin. How long are you going to carry on being underground? Let me tell you, you stay underground, you're, going to get, you, you're not going to have the food to eat. You're not going to be able to live. You're going to die. The wages of sin is death. 
But in him we have eternal life. Amen. When we decide to say, yes, I'm following you out of my problem, out of my position, then I know that I am going to be okay. Finally, number three, new wine requires a devoted heart. You see, if, you're not, if you've not got an abandoned heart and a softened heart, you'll not have a devoted heart towards God. The Pharisees asked, why the feasting? And not the fasting. I want you to just get this just before I come to a close. And if we could have the keys back, that would be great. If Alan could just come back. They're asking about fasting. Saying, why is it you're all eating? Why are you doing this? Shouldn't you be doing the system? Shouldn't you be doing what we do? This is the type of people you need, Jesus. You need us. You need people like John's disciples. People who are fasting all the time. Look at us. We're just just all ready for the, we're ready for the new will of it. But we're the ones you need to look at. And Jesus says this. It's very interesting this. He says this. Verse 34. When they ask him why, he says, Can you make the friends, get that, friends, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom, the bridegroom is Jesus. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's still with them? I'll just say this. What Jesus said when he said that comment, he was basically saying this. The people I'm sat with here are my friends. He said, they're asking him, why are you doing this? He says, can you make the friends, can you make these people who I'm eating with now and enjoying myself with, can I make them fast when I'm with them? Why would they need to do that? They've recognized who they're sat with. They've recognized that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, they've recognized the Savior of the world is sat right with them. So they don't need to fast. So these are my friends. These are my pals. These are my guys. This is what Jesus has been doing. Can you make my friends do that when they're with me? Why would they do that? You've got it all wrong. You're missing the objective. You're missing the point. You're thinking that that the the saviour of the world isn't here. But I'm here. These are my friends. But then he says this. But the time will come, verse 35, when the bridegroom, so he says the time's going to come when I'm going to be taken from them. And then he says, then they will fast. So what he's saying is, how can I make these lot fast now instead of having a party when I'm with them but a time's going to come when I'm going to be taken from them they'll all see that and then they won't be able to have a party they won't want a party they'll want to fast now let me just show you something because some of us sometimes when you start talking about fasting and the Bible says that we should fast we think to ourselves well that's just I'm putting myself through it I mean when someone told me about fasting I read books on it and all I did is just I prayed for the end of the week to come to have my curry. I couldn't think about anything else other than the, the, the takeaway that I had order on the first night of breaking the fast. I've got to be honest with you. I, I was thinking about food all week. Now, it's a bit different now. But when I first started, I didn't understand the... I just wasn't grasping it. What's all this about? But listen to me. Jesus, get this. Jesus compares the experience of a fast 
to a feast with a friend. Why? Because he says, now we're having a party. Now we're together. We're eating together. But in the time to come, they're going to fast instead of doing this. So what he says is, when they come to fast, it's not going to be something that they hate doing. They're going to enjoy fasting because it will replace the same experience as feasting now. You see, some of us sometimes think that when we deny ourselves of food, that we're not going to enjoy ourselves for a week. But you've got to get your heart and your mind into the right place and understand that when you fast, when you're devoted to God, I'm telling you what's going to happen. It's this, that every opportunity to fast from yourself is an opportunity to feast with God. Every opportunity to get to fast from self is an opportunity to feast with him. Listen, you've got to tell yourself today, the devil says to you, if you fast, you're going to have a bad week. Well, you will have a headache on the first day. Second day won't be as bad. Third day you'll be getting used to it. Then you'll start to realize, I'm denying myself. And I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the presence. Because I'm drawing close, James 4, 28. Come close to me and I'll come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Come on. When we start drawing close to him, when we start getting to that place, I'm telling you now, you're going to see that fasting is feasting. Fasting is feasting with God. Why do I know that? Jeremiah 15, 16. Jeremiah the prophet who heard God's voice says this. When your words came, I ate them. They were joy, my joy and my heart's delight. In other words, he says, your words that come to me in that place of focus on you, when I focus everything on you, it's like food. It makes me feel joyful. And it does something to my heart. Listen, church. Fasting is feasting with God. It's devoting yourself. You've got to tell yourself tomorrow, I can't wait to fast. I'm going to get past the headache. Because if I get past the headache, you t- you listen, if you go to the gym two weeks in, you're going to be enjoying it. Three weeks in, you're getting used to it. Listen, you know that you've got to get past. You've got to position your heart to the right place. And everything else will flow from it. Hallelujah. As I come to just finish this in Joel 2, 12, it says this, God, stand up everyone, let's stand because otherwise I'll carry on for a long time. Hopefully you got something from this today. Joel 2, 12, we all like the Joel 2 prophecy that is fulfilled in Acts 2, but Joel 2, 12, just before that, in verse 28, Joel is speaking to God's people about how they need to respond to come back to their place. How they need to come back to God. And so he says this, even now, he means even now in all of the depths of where you've got to, the cave where you've got, the the place where you've got. He says, even now, verse 12 declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Then he says, with fasting, weeping and mourning. Then verse 13, it says this, get this, rend your heart, not your garments. What does that mean? Well, the word rend means to tear something. People, what they did is they 
tore their garments on the outside to make it look like that they were sorry. To look like that they were repentant. It was an it was an opportunity. Rather than wearing your heart on your sleeve and saying, God, you've got all the opportunity. Give me the anesthetic. Take me down and do what you've got to do in me. Instead, I'm going to tear my garments and I'm going to pretend that I'm doing this. He says, rend your heart, not your garments. Listen to me, church. I'm coming to a finish now. The cry of our hearts today, the cry of our hearts needs to be, Jesus, baptize my heart. Baptize my heart. Baptize my heart. Baptize my heart with your spirit. Baptize my heart. Soften my heart. Soften my heart. Soften my heart. Make me be on fire for you, Jesus. I rend my heart. I break my heart so that you can soften me. I'm not going to tear my garments on a Sunday anymore to prove I'm doing something. I'm breaking before you. Because listen, new wine needs new wineskins. Sometimes you've got to break your heart. You've got to break it apart to get something new to take what God wants to do. Let that be a cry right now. Come on, just every hand raised, every heart stretched out to God. Lord, baptize our hearts. Baptize our hearts in your spirit. What we just read there when he says, rend your hearts and not your garments. That's verse 13. You jump on just a few verses to verse 28. That's when you've got the Joel 2 fulfillment prophecy. That's what you've got in Acts 2. You've got an afterward, he says, an afterward. When you've done this, when you are prepared to break your heart, when you're prepared to get in that place of a new wineskin, afterward, I will pour out my spirit. I'll give you the new wine. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Baptize our hearts, Lord. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, We would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.